0: Okay. Good evening, everyone. Shall we begin? I'm sorry I'm a little late. Barakatad. Okay, tonight's share I'd like to dedicate two dedications. One is uh, to the neshama of um, Yol Menachem ben Reb Tzadik, whose yurt site is tonight, the 8th of Adar. May this be to a great Elias neshama for him, and a lots of brachas to his son and uh, Peter, Peter Kraus. should be a lot of mazel and only, only good for you. May your Father bestow upon you lots of mazel and bracha and simcha, and only, only good, 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 good things. Another dedication I'd like to dedicate tonight's class, my grandfather's yard to us today, uh, David Yehuda ben Yukusil Pinchas. Um, I made it really, you know, it's two others, so we have double. We did it a month ago, now was another one. Okay, may this be for the Ali of his neshama. Uh, we are now holding in the middle. Rarely do we do this, that we split a mimer into three parts, and we are holding over here, in the midst of part number three of this discourse, Vayikach Haman as a Haman took the lavush, the garment, and the horse, and he dressed, and he dressed Mordechai. So here we have a... And this was really the crucial moment in the whole story of Purim, when Haman comes to ask Ahasuerus to have... Mordecai hung up on the tree, and then Ahasuerus turns the tables on him by asking him first the question, what do you think should be done for someone that the king wants to honor? Haman says that the king who wants to honor, you should take the, should honor him like a, like, a, like a king. Put him on, uh, dress him up in royal garments, have him ride on the king's horse. And um, so it's right at that moment that Ahasuerus that tells him, now you go take the garment and take the horse, and lead Mordechai through, town, to through and parade him through the town. So physically, the transformation of the whole story from being the most bleakest, darkest moment and decree upon the Jewish people to become the most joyous festival, time of the greatest salvation and joy for the Jewish people, it all happened in regards to that horse, which Haman wanted to be used to parade him, that he should be paraded. And his intention was that Mordechai should give him a ride. And I turned around that he would be the one giving, leading Mordechai in that parade. So what is this idea of the horse? So we discussed this in the earlier, in, in last week and the week before, which we don't have the, the, uh, the time now to go through the whole thing, just a, just a brief idea. Uh, the horse, mystically, is associated with uh, the power of pride, and generally we understand that pride is a very negative thing. Because um, arrogance, pride, haughtiness. Uh, because um, that goes against the very, very, very essence of Kedusha. Which is humility in front of God. Or in, as the words of Hasidus, all Kedusha is dependent on bittel bittel means self-effacement in front of Hashem. To the point where you don't have any self. The essence of kedusha, as the tzemach Tzedek puts it, in Yiddish, nisht nit ich, not me. A person who is absorbed in himself is the antithesis to holiness. Holiness is a recognition that Hashem is everywhere and everything. It doesn't mean that I don't have any talents and I don't have anything to offer. I do, but all the power that I have comes to me directly from God. So why do why should I see myself as somebody? And as it's further described in regards to the small aleph of this week's parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayikra has a tiny little aleph, because Moshe Rabbeinu was more humble than any person in the world. Vayikra, he minimized the aleph that God called him, which I was calling him. From all the other human beings, since the world was created, God never called anybody in the same way like he called Moshe. So Moshe, however, asked that the aleph should be made small, Because Moshe Rabbeinu felt that when Hashem called him, um, all those powers and all those talents and all those abilities, had they been given to someone else, they would have done much, much, they would have utilized it much better than I do. So I really have, I mean, whatever I have is a talent given to me from God. Whatever my involvement in that is, which means me utilizing, I utilized it much less than anybody else who would have been given these these godly gifts, would have done much better with them. So that's the essence of holiness. It's a bitle, anava, humility. Yet, as the Altareb explains, the Gemara says that it is important for a person to have a little bit of pride, one sixty fourth of pride, and the Gemara compares it to the beard on top of a stalk of grain. On top of the stalk of the grain, there's a part of the chaff, part of the, is that it has on the top this little bearded type of thing. And that chaff is meant. Um, and the Gemara says that just like the ch- that that beard on top of the stalk of grain makes the grain beautiful while the grain is growing in the same way the little bit of pride that a Talmud Chacham has and as the Altareb explained in the Maimar earlier that Talmud Chacham means a person who has learned the art of humility of Chachma, of Bittu Talmud, he's a student of Chachma Chachma is the power of Koach ma, the power of utter self-effacement. So this is a person who's in every aspect of his life totally nullified and surrendered, and without a, without self-awareness, without self to do whatever. Um, yet he, he needs to have a, an eighth of an eighth, with his, which is one sixty-fourth of a portion of that little bit of pride, and it's compared to that beard on top of a stalk of grain. Which means, and the, the al explains, because uh, in the early stages of a person's service, if you don't have an eye, then you have nothing to motivate you. The power of motivation, particularly when you still have unholiness inside of you. Once you graduate and you move past all unholiness, a person has already refined themselves to the utmost of refinement, especially someone who moves into the levels of a tzaddik, then you can discard the pride. You don't need it anymore. Because your motivation is because you're unified with God. And that's why anything godly is what you do. Why? (laughs) Because if you're synchronized with Hashem, then you do a mitzvah. You don't need much motivation to do a mitzvah. You just do a mitzvah because that's the only reality. The reality is the mitzvah. Hashem's will is your only reality. It's your only life. And when, when something happens when Hashem puts on tefillin, you put on tefillin. When Hashem keeps Shabbos, you keep Shabbos. Because you realize that you're, 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 that, that Hashem is everything and everywhere. So your, your observance of the mitzvah is just as an expression of God, not as a choice that you are making because you want something. Obviously, this is a very, very, very high level. So once a person reaches that level, the Alter Rebbe says over here in this discourse, you don't need the motivation to create within yourself desire that you want something. It's not about you wanting; it's just this is. Um, but so then you can get this, disregard the, the pride. But when you're still in a state where you're still beginning, you're an amateur in your divine service, which means you still experience an otherness besides Hashem. And part of that otherness is yourself, your ego, your world. And in addition to that, there is all kinds of other stuff in the world that serve as competition to God. And everybody's competing for your soul. And everybody's competing for your attention. attention. And here is where you need to really steer steer yourself towards service of Hashem, towards mitzvah observance, and not chas v'shalom, and steer yourself away from a sin. Over here you have to have a little bit of I want, I need, I am... And I love God and I want to be close to Him. And there is no way in the world that I am, God forbid, going to do that sin because that is going to ruin me and is going to separate me from Hashem. Obviously, I am very important to myself if I so badly don't want to be dirty. If I so badly don't. But hold it, how can someone be important to himself if God is the all-pervading reality? Who are you? A little nobody. Yet, you got to make yourself into a somebody. Because if you're a nobody, then can do anything so that's why you need a little bit of pride so it's similar to this as we spoke in the earlier part of the discourse it's similar to the to the air to the um, beard on top of the grains that grow which protect the grain from the intense sunlight and the and the um, cold and the wetness the moisture you see if the if the if the wheat if the wheat would not have the chaff the wheat kernels would not have the chaff so the wheat kernels would be standing in direct exposure they would be in direct exposure to the intense heat to the intense heat of the sun then they would get ruined in two, in two ways they would get ruined by being burnt and scorched by the sun they would also be become moldy. They would also become moldy by the mold by the by the moisture. Now that there is a chaff, including this little beard on the top, the beard on the top absorbs the sun, the intense sun rays. The beard on top in, it absorbs the moisture, and it protects the kernels. However, once the kernels are ready, what do you do? Once the wheat the wheat has ripened. Once the wheat has ripened, you remove the chaff, the chaff, and you re, and you and you extract the kernels, and then you don't want to have that chaff. The chaff gets in the way; it's not a positive thing anymore. So, holding on to it longer than you needed when it's unnecessary is, not, is actually causes a problem. Because if you put it into the into the bread, it's it's gonna it's gonna ruin the whole thing. So, it just has to be removed. The same is also. When it comes to our service of Hashem, pride is important at the beginning of our service. But once we graduate past that, we can come to a state of total bittle And we don't need the pride. And Interesting, I mentioned only the heat. Just the, the, the example of the sages is extremely accurate. We spoke about the heat. The heat in a person's life represents temptation. But God forbid we would fall victim to temptation if we wouldn't have a little bit of pride. A little bit of pride tells me, I will sin? I? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an observant Jew. I, I'm i a person, I'm a spiritual person. I am close to God. I want to be in a relationship with God. So I gotta like jolt, I gotta boost my eye to be able to resist temptation. That's the idea that I have this chaff that's protecting me against the sunlight. The second element is we spoke another thing that the chaff protects me the chaff protects protects me from becoming moldy by the water what does that represent laziness depression sadness all these things can get a person that you don't, you, know, you don't move out of bed you don't want to move anywhere you don't you don't have any ambition because god is the only reality okay so i don't exist even so i even have. So again, if I am motivated enough that I have so identified with the divine, that God's burning desire to have a mitzvah done in this world, that God's burning desire to have Torah studied in this world is my desire, is who I am, because I am subsumed and incorporated and completely integrated in God, so His will is my will, then of course I have motivation. But it's not me, it's Hashem... Hashem activating me. So of course I'm going to learn, I'm going to dive, and I have powerful motivation. I have infinite motivation. Because Hashem's will and Hashem's desire is what's prompting me to do a mitzvah. Well, that's great. Then there's no laziness, there's no heaviness. But we're talking before a person has reached the point to be able to identify so thoroughly with God's will. You have not yet experienced the divine to the point where Hashem pervades your complete consciousness in your entire being—you're still a creation. You're still living in created in creation consciousness, which means you're still living as a being blocked, where we, where where the kalipa is still blocking the full truth from shining through us. Oh, so you have an eye, but if you're going to look at your eye as a nobody, so what's going to get you out of bed? What's going to motivate? What's going to help you overcome the gravitational laziness? that's keeping you in bed. So what's getting you to move? I want to learn. I need to daven. I need to be close to God, which the Alter Rebbe says, that too is ego. That too is, is an arrogance. Well, that's Haman. But a little bit of Haman we need to have. And that Haman is the one who looks for the horses. Because the horse is related, a horse is an animal of pride. A horse walks... And it, it's very proud of its accomplishments and it's very proud of its... In any case, why did Hashem create it that way? But here is a phenomenal idea that we learned in the last two classes. That why did Hashem create us that way? That even though arrogance, ego, self, self-awareness, self self-absorption, self, all that is abhorrent, it's the antithesis to the divine truth that God is and there's none but him. Why did God create us in a manner that the, excuse me the only way to serve Hashem is to use the Gaiva to use the the, 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 the gasos as a means to serving Hashem in the beginning of our service. So we learned in the discourse the reason Hashem did that is because that too is necessary. That too is a necessary component to bring about the divine blessing. In other words, it's not only because of the human being's weakness and because of the human being's, um, because of a human being's weakness and a human being's uh, uh, darkness. That we have no choice but to utilize ego to get ourselves motivated. It's actually rec- it's, it's needed for, for, for Hashem as well. Hashem needs our pride a little bit. Why? Because we know that, here's an amazing thing. Everything in heaven is generated by the way we act down here below. Because Hashem set the system, the cosmic order to be controlled by the human being. So for for instance, when we act in kindness we stimulate a, a flow of divine kindness. When we discipline ourselves we stimulate divine discipline for Hashem to discipline the creation and those who need discipline. When we act with compassion we evoke, stimulate divine compassion. So all these things need to be stimulated by below. Now, here is a problem. If we only have humility in our service, if Judaism would leave no room whatsoever for any pride, and Yiddishkeit would be only 100% an exercise of complete humility and abnegation, we would cause above the same thing. For God to be fully and thoroughly humble, which He is. And by that, it would cause Hashem to lower Himself down to us, which is very powerful. The problem is that God's humility can also act in a counter-godly way. Because of Hashem's extreme humility and kindness and givingness, He can look away of His own honor and support even His enemies. Because He doesn't look at Himself as so important. And therefore, and the two reasons. First of all, okay. So what is? If someone has pride, then then you know what I mean. This is my enemy. My enemy. I'm not going to support my enemy. Quite on the contrary, I have to destroy my enemy. But someone who's extremely humble, okay. So there's an enemy. Someone who's into, you know who's 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 uh, desecrating my name. But who cares? Because I'm I'm humble. So if God is extremely humble, then Titus. Um, who, Titus, who came in and destroyed the base of Samigdash, could stand in the Kodesh HaKadoshim and pierce the Paroches with a sword and say, God forbid that I have, I, I have taken the life of the God of Israel. That's what he said. And God is silent because He's of extreme humility. So what is? He can overlook it. He can oversee it. In addition to that, because Hashem's because all of creation is nothing to Hashem. Because all of creation is, as the Zohar says, all before Him is not. And to Him, light and darkness are equal. Light and darkness are equal. Good and bad are ultimately equal. In front of God Himself. Because there is nothing of the finite existence that has any value so that we should be able to say that the good is more valuable than the bad. That's only when, we're, when, when the creation is significant then you can say what is happening in creation is significant. The good needs to be supported and the bad needs to be destroyed. needs to be eliminated. That's only if the creation is of significance. But if the creation is less than one cell, one tiny little infinitesimal nothing, all of creation is nothing. So the good and the bad, the good guys and the bad guys that are in this, in this, in this thing are irrelevant. So it doesn't make it irrelevant. It's like a little child playing with his, I don't know, Star Wars game. And he has a bunch of like good guys and bad guys and he has these little menchalich, these little things, and it's like a whole big deal. And he's all into his forces of goodness and forces of evil. And they're so, like my son keeps on coming over to me with his little guys. And he tells me, Tah, are you scared of him? Then he, then he gets a bigger one. And he says, are you scared of him? <laughs> he just wants to me to admit that I'm scared of him. Um, and I tell him no. Once in a while I tell him yeah. <laughs> but the idea is that, because okay, to an adult, to an mature adult, it's, it's a game, it's a kind So what is it? So to the child, he's in it like this is. So from let's talk about God, who is infinitely, infinitely, infinitely bigger than a mature adult. So everything that's good and bad in this world, from the from the from the, from the, from the finest, greatest promoters of kindness and goodness in the world to the murderous ISIS killers. All part of an existence that is so insignificant and nothing. So that's why, precisely because of these reasons, evil can thrive by a God that doesn't have any pride. So how are we going to give God a little bit of pride? So when we incorporate in our service a little bit of pride, when we generate a little bit of Haman energy inside of us, which is Haman is a man of pride, a little bit of of, of of I am and I'm important, that creates within Hashem also that idea of I am important. And true, the creation is insignificant, but I did create the world, and I do, and, some, and, and an entity that is blasphemous to me, and an entity that is... Disregards me, should be removed from my from my world. It's like we spoke about the idea of the spider. Due to the magnificent size of the palace, spiders get away living in a palace. Usually, in a regular home, everybody chases a spider. It was a little something. In a in a in a in a in a, in a um, regular place, everybody chases a spider. Because the spider, in a, in a small apartment, a spider is huge. Not just huge. It takes up like three quarters. like a monstrous creature. It's like a hippopotamus. Right? If you're living in a small apartment, it might be a little spider, but it's like a hippopotamus that's like filling the entire room. You can't move anywhere because, of, because there's a spider. But if you're living in this magnificent palace and the spider is in the corner, let it be there. No one cares about the spider. That's what Shlomo HaMelech says. A spider is chased after by every hand But she finds refuge She finds comfort She creeps in the palaces of kings Goes unnoticed Because due to the the expansion The expansive of the palace No one cares about the spider It's unnoticed Oh, but if the king decides the king goes into a state of pride. I am, this is my palace, and I want all the residents of my palace to be in accordance to my will. That pride could cause the king to send his whole crew of maids to go chase after every spider in every nook and cranny and get rid of it, do a little khametz clean. Because it's a decision. Because there shouldn't be anybody in this palace that is not conforming with my kingdom. And the spider isn't. So out! So we need God to enter into pride state to get rid of klipa. And that's the idea of... That's why Hashem created us. That in our beginning of our service of Hashem, we need to have a little bit of pride. Because that generates lamaila, an idea of pride, which causes the Hashem to pull the hashpa, the flow, out of klipa, and to direct his influence only into Kedush. That was a fascinating discussion that we had at the beginning of the discourse. Then the, and the Alter Rebbe relates this to horses. I don't have the time right now, but he's says that a horse is gematria 126 which is 2 times 63. 63 and 63 equals 126. 63 is the roshate, is the gematria of gas. So again, sus, horse, 2 times 63. 63 is gas. Now what does gas mean? Gas means pride. Gas means dent means gasaruah means someone who's thick, meaning he's aware of himself. That's gasar. So what does it mean that a horse represents two times gas? It means spiritually, the idea of evoking the horse is causing God to have gas, Hashem to rise up with pride as a result of our gas down here, when a person says, I cannot sin, that's below me, and I cannot do that. In other words, when you act in a, more, in, a, in, a, in a healthy, good pride, that causes above also pride above, to erase the clip. That's why when Haman was the one who evoked the horses, which is we're going to see today why Haman wanted to evoke the horse, for a different reason. But when Haman evoked the horse, that when he, that's when he had his downfall. Because when the horses carried, evoked, and caused this hisnasos, this elevation, the king was riding on a horse. What does it, when a king rides on a horse, what does it do to the king? It too raises the king up to a state of, I am the boss, I am the ruler, this is my country, my land, my estate, my palace, and those, my enemies should not have any peace and quiet, even for one day, when they're my enemies. That came from, from Haman evoking the supernal horse. And that's why what happens immediately after that, he has his downfall. That's what we were learning earlier. Now, one more important point before we could continue into today's class is that we learned that in the Megillus Esther, we experience a tug of war. What's the tug of war? There is a ring which the ring has the signature of the king on it, the signet ring. Ahashverosh gives this ring to Haman. Then at the end of the Megillah he removes the ring from Haman and he gives the signet ring, ring to Mordechai. And basically all decisions in regards to, the, to the, 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 how the country is going to run in favor of the Jewish people, or God forbid, the opposite is all dependent on that ring, the signet ring. And the signet ring is so powerful that the king himself admits that he can't go against the ring. Because he tells Esther and Mordecai, when they come in to plead that the king should revoke the decrees that he had initially sent out to wipe out all the Jewish people, the king says, I can't call, I can't veto that decree. Why can't I veto it? Because once something has been sealed with the seal of the king, with the signature of the king, ain't lahashif. You can't bring that back. What I could do is send out new letters to support the Jewish people in their, in their defense against the, those who will rise up against them. And I will even give them military assistance to fight back. But... To go and directly remove that decree that the day of the 13th of Adar is a day of programs against the Jewish people, I can't do that. So, what do you see from here? That there's something extremely powerful about that ring. But we find that Haman wants that ring, and in the end, Esther and Mordechai get that ring. So, what is the significance of this tug of war? So, he explains that in general, during the time of Acha the Shekhinah, which means the divine presence, descended into the unholy. Why? Instead of there being a Jewish empire and a Jewish kingdom, what was there? There was a Persian empire, and uh, the, and Persia was the superpower of the world. That means that the Shekhinah, what's the superpower? Who's the superpower? God is the superpower. It's wherever God vests Himself, that's the country that has power. So in that time, the Shekhinah vested itself in Persia. Which means in general, there was a great hashpa, a great influence, flow of godly blessing, to say, godly support to the other side, not the kedusha. That's general the state of exile. The state of exile is when kedusha is subservient, when the realms of holiness are to a certain degree subservient to the other side. During the time of Achashverosh, that's what was going on. The Shechina was. He explains. Interesting. Last week we learned an interesting idea. Vashti represents Klippa, Of course, she she's a wicked woman. Particularly, we said she's called Vashti. Come the word Shtei. Shtei means two, because she represents what's called the Klippa of Noga. And the klipa of Noga is is it says half whole it, ha, it it's half it's a mix of good and bad, and some there's real really dark entities, really dark klipas. God never vests Himself in real evil. The real real dark evil cannot receive directly from Hashem. It has to steal the energy, or, or what happens is Hashem gives chaios, Hashem gives energy to a subtle klippa and then the real dark klipas they can they can derail that energy or they can they can derive the energy let's say from the klippa from this in, immediate intermediate klippa called klippa snoga is this klippa snoga that's why she's called too because she's on this side and she's on that side she's a mixture of good and bad then when there is a decree that Vashti should not come anymore in front of the king, what does that mean? That Hashem removes the klipa. He pushes her away. And He puts Esther instead. Same idea He explains is the idea of the ring. Haman, the root of Amalek, extreme klipa, is vying, he is king, he is, um, um, reaching for the king's for the king's, um, the king's for the king's uh, favor right? he wants the king to favor him but it's not just a physical human king Ahashverosh what, what Haman was really working for what Haman was really seeking to attract Haman was seeking to attract mm. divine favor that Hashem Haman knows Haman was a great, a great um, I'm not going to say he was a Kabbalist, but he had a lot of knowledge. And what Haman wanted was that the, that the unholy should be the one who receives Hashem's Hashbah, and not Kedusha. Particularly he was looking for the ring. So let's go back for a moment to the ring, because that's what we're, where we're going to pick up today. The power of the ring is, what's a ring? It's a very strange thing. The ring is a ring, okay, it's a piece of metal. It belongs to the king. Engraved on that metal is letters of the name of the king. When the king puts his signature on something, and that as he said earlier, that has all the power. That is irrevocable, unvitable, unvetoable power. Okay, So what is that power? What is that? So the idea is as follows. He explained. That's what we learned last week. And this is the concluding thought of last week. We can continue on to what we're going to continue today. And that is that even though the ring is not the king himself, it only has the name of him. And the name of somebody is what? External to a person. There is you and there is your name. But... When the, the idea of the signature of the king means that which the king gives his will, that which the king gives his desire. Because what does it mean? When a king signs something, what does that mean? He signs an edict, he signs a decree. He says, I favor that. My will is in that. That means that the signet ring has something very powerful. I'll give you, let me explain something. The king writes a book. Shlomo HaMelech, for instance. What is more powerful? Shlomo HaMelech's beautiful um, um, uh, writings. Shlomo HaMelech wrote the Song of Songs. Shlomo HaMelech brought, r- wrote Mishlei, Right? Incredible wisdom and knowledge. Koheles. Great and deep teachings. They're wonderful, they're great. And obviously, Shlomo Ameluch puts, puts himself into his books that he's writing. So, are there, so there are his, his writings, his, his manuscripts, and then there is his ring in which he signs, and he runs the country with that ring. Which one reaches deeper into him? His signet ring or his manuscripts? See, he spent so much time on his manuscripts. But the manuscripts don't contain his desire. The manuscripts contain his knowledge. Knowledge of a person is much more external than will. Will is a very, very deep inner part of a human being. Will is your soul. Will is associated with the soul itself. Knowledge is a power that the soul possesses. But knowledge isn't you. Knowledge is something you have. Will is you. I want. I desire you can't separate will from i so will is the very very inner innermost of a person when the king has a signet what does that mean his signature means the king's very i is embedded on his ring we'll see why what it has to do with the ring but that we'll see a little in a little moment but just the idea the fact that his name is engraved over there means that his his deeper eye, his deeper will, is connected to that ring. When Haman is seeking the king's ring, what Haman is desiring, is he wants the king's desire to go to him. The king should want him. In a deep way. What? What? Yeah, the power resides in me. Why? Because the power is the will. If somebody else... Yeah, because you forged it or whatever. Yeah, but, 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 that, but there's something, of course. On the simplest way, he was a power-hungry man and he just wanted power to run the country. But we're talking on the spiritual level over here. It means, it means the unholy was seeking God's desire. That Hashem's will. Now, but you ask a question. How can the unholy even attempt that God should desire the unholy? Everybody knows that Hashem desires holiness. How can Hashem, how can Khalipa even how can it how can it even make an attempt to get the ring? The answer is there is a very, 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 very mischievous a very evil intention in trying to get to the ring because Klipa knows that on the level of reason on the level of rational logic it stands no chance why would God desire evil corruption wickedness forces that are don't acknowledge Him, but don't want to serve Him, based on all reason, Hashem's support should go to Kedusha, should not go to the opposite of Kedusha. Holiness is beautiful. Klippa, the unholy, is despicable. And therefore, of course, what's a choice? Of course Hashem is going to support what is good, and He's going to reject that which is evil. That, that, there is no question. So what does Kalippa do? The Haman understood, and Haman had a simple understanding, and the idea that I mentioned earlier, that God is beyond all these calculations. It's beyond all these calculations. Haman understood that Hashem contracted Himself. You hear this word, this is a very important word. Hashem contracted Himself to be in a relationship with the world. And when Hashem contracted Himself to be in a relationship with the world, to create the world, to sustain it, and to find pleasure and joy in the creation, Haman understood that on that level, there is a system. And that system is the system of Torah. And there Hashem spells out exactly what He likes and what He dislikes. But that's after Hashem lowers Himself down already from His infinite, undefinable state to be closer to the creation so that the creation becomes important to Him. And as we said earlier, the good and the bad of creation are meaningful. The good, desirable. And the meaningful and the, and the um, evil, um, despised. But that's only after Hashem has already contracted Himself down. Haman understood that God who is infinitely bigger than the creation, Hashem who is Ein Sof, cannot have any, essentially on a level of essence, on a much higher infinite level. Over there, the creation is insignificant. If the creation is insignificant, then the good of creation is insignificant, and the bad of creation is insignificant. So over there, anything can be. So that's why Hama wanted the ring, because the ring is tapping into desire and will. When we say will and desire, we're talking about will and desire that's not a product of reason. See, there is will and desire that's a product of reason. That's when we want something because our mind tells us it's good, because of the value that things possess. So then we appreciate things based on reason. But then there's another type of a desire. I desire something, and over there I desire because I want, not because of any external factors. So on the level where God is pure desire, higher than reason, which is in a sense a creation, that Hashem creates reason, when Hashem is still pre reason. pre-logic a place infinitely higher than logic over there Haman felt that he stands a chance and as we're going to see soon that's why he cast lots what does lots mean? lots mean anything can go what is lots? when you're you're operating from from, from a place of lots it means you're not working with reason you're not working with logic why are you choosing this over this? why why do it on the, on the month of Adar? Do you have a reason for it? No. See, afterwards Haman said, Ah, it's good. It came out on a time when he had a reason when Moshe Rabbeinu died. But that's after the lot. First, it could have been any day. He's going he's gonna to choose any day it's going to happen. Why? Because Haman was tapping into a place where anything can be. Because there's no rules and regulations. Because there's no logic. It's a level beyond logic. And on a level beyond logic, God has not yet, so to say, made the decision to love good and to hate evil. Because that's again, from Hashem's looking from a point of logic. This is good, this is bad. But these are levels that are higher than logic. That's the reason why Haman also, hold on one second, that's also the reason why Haman made a ladder that was, not a ladder, he made a, a tree that was 50 cubits high. Now, Mordechai was not so tall. 50 cubits is about 75 feet tall. You don't have to hang someone from 75 feet tall thing. You can hang someone from a 10 foot pole. Why did he make a 75 foot ladder of 50 Amos? And that means that the this was very cunning. He wanted to, to defeat Mordechai from the level of the 50th. The level of the 50th is Kesser, the crown the crown represents the infinite light before it gets filtered in the spherot and the attributes, before God is operating through the realms of reason and logic. So on that very sublime level, there's no rules. There's no rules. It's just whatever will be, whatever Hashem will decide, He can equally go this way, equally go this way. If we put it this way. If you say that Hashem has to go one way, That means he is, what? Restricted to certain restrictions. And if Hashem is restricted to certain restrictions, then he's not truly infinite. If you have to compel him to something, that he must choose like this and not like that, means that he is not free. He's limited. He's limited by whatever reason. That's a limitation. So Haman is rising up to a place beyond all limitations. That's why he's seeking, as we said before, the signet ring. Because that's where will that, that's the level of will, pure desire. That's why it's so powerful. That's why, even take a look over here. Even if the king later, based on logic, says, No, 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 this is no good that all the Jews are gonna be killed. What am I gonna do? It's too late. He's already cited, he's already willed the will. He can give the ring to the other side to do something, but he can't evoke, revoke that. Logic cannot restrain that. That's the idea. We'll understand a little better as we learn. Yeah, what was your question? You about, like, how do you how can you get to the level How can you surpass? You know what I mean? Like how does you... it... What, 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 what was this? How does evil do this? Yeah. It, you see, the thing was like this. In general it was a time of Gullus, when Gullus in general means that Hashem, why is the world so so crazy? Why is there so much madness in the world during the time of Gullus? I mean, if Hashem, people always ask the question, if Hashem is in charge, so how can there be, the wicked can prosper and the good will suffer? It means that in Gullus in general, Hashem rises above the system and he operates things from a place higher so the the, the energy was already on that level what Haman was doing was tapping into that that's where he was going there what? he did the lottery, that's what he did what? no, but he means he's surrendering it to a power that's above all reason and logic that's the idea and we're going to see, so that because you really you really realize that the lottery is the whole is the whole power of the holiday, because we call the Yom Tiv Purim lottery, which means that this is the whole power of Purim is is this is this point this place of beyond reason. What really happened? What really is the miracle of Purim? So what really is the real story of Purim? The real story of Purim is that we uncovered. That it was revealed and demonstrated that Hashem's relationship with us, with holiness, and with the Jewish people, is really not because of any reason. In other words, before that, the, what was what was uh, what we can observe is that God likes Avram Avinu, Hashem likes Yitzchak. He likes, because they were good people, because of all their goodness. Who should he like? Avram and Nimrod. What's the competition? Right? Yaakov or Paro? Yaakov. I mean, here you have a person that's just the essence of goodness, and here you have someone who's bathing in Jewish in, in baby's blood. It's a wicked person. So th- until the time of Purim, what we knew about God is that we knew that Hashem favors goodness over bad. He did all the miracles for the Jewish people. Because we were the good guys. And what does it even say by Matan Torah? Why did, Hashem, why did Hashem do all the miracles for us by, by, by Mitzrayim? Why did Hashem do all the miracles by Yitzhia Mitzrayim? Because we were the ones who were going to accept His Torah at the mountain and do His will. So we're going to be the ones who are going to do, you know, fulfill His wishes. So He's going to love us. Those who rejected him, the rest of the nations rejected him, so he disliked them. So the entire favor to the Jewish people is based on what? On a calculation and on a reason. Because it makes sense. That was until Purim came along. When Purim came along, Haman did something very, 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 very mischievous. He raised himself up to a place as we said earlier, that's above all calculations. And he, over there he said, and he reached, and he really tapped into that place. He really tapped into a place where the virtues are of the virtuous, and the guilt and the sin of the sinners are both meaningless. Meaningless. Truly, truly, absolutely meaningless It doesn't make sense to us It's very hard for us to grasp this And it's possible That there should be A place in God Where it all is meaningless But that's because we're (laughs) That's because we're so limited So, because of our limitations But the understanding that God is not limited has to lead us to a place that Hashem is truly free. On a a level where He's truly free, He's truly free. Haman taps into that place. What happened? What's the Nase of Purim? The Nase of Purim was not that Haman was not successful. The Nase of Purim was that suddenly the relationship that the Jewish people have with the God was elevated to an infinitely higher level than it was before. Because Hashem by the story of Purim revealed I should say revealed that He really loves the Jewish people He really loves the Jewish people without any reason whatsoever. He chooses goodness because so he chooses, not because there's anything compelling him and any reason to be loved. It's an insane love. Basically what was revealed on Purim, I'm sorry for using this term, but please understand it in the right way, that God is crazy about us. He doesn't love us because it makes sense. It's an, we'll say it's irrational, but, but for Hashem, the truth of it means it's super rational. It's not because of any reasons. It's because so it is. And when He loves us because so it is, that means that the relationship is above the filter of reason it's in the infinite light and it's in the infinite. We're precious to him in in his very self, not in his mind. So much deeper. That means even on that very high place of Goro, what happened to the Goro? What's Purim? Purim means that on the level of Purim on the level of lotteries where it can go this way or that way where does it go? It falls to the Jewish people for no reason at all just because. Those is going to a place where technically it could go here and it could go there yet it goes here. Now all of that came about by something that we did first that the Jewish people did first. What did the Jewish people do first? Not sure. What we did first was that it was revealed we displayed, we the Jewish people displayed that our connection to God and our choosing to be in a relationship with Him is also not because of any reason. It's not because we're going to be the special people. Or we are going to... Or because Hashem is so great and therefore being in a relationship with Him is so worthwhile. Anything that we choose because of a reason, as we said before, is not our essence. It's an external thing. It's our mind. It's a reason. How was it revealed? Let me, first, let me first explain. How was it revealed by Purim? The choice of the Jewish people to choose Hashem not because of any reason was because during the time of Purim there was a during the Purim during the time of Purim the Jewish people on a national scale the entire nation of Israel chose to remain Jewish at the cost of total annihilation. In the eyes of the Alter Rebbe, the entire miracle of Purim is the Mesir nefesh that the Jewish people had on Purim that we've never ever showed in any other time in history. We the Jewish people have displayed martyrdom throughout throughout the ages, Messirah nefesh, but it was always individuals, it was part of the Jewish people. It wasn't the entire nation of Israel. During the time of the story of Purim, the entire people of Israel, every single Jew, men, woman, and child, insanely chose to remain Jewish. What do we mean that we chose to remain Jewish? Everybody had an exit strategy. If you wanted to remain alive, you can exit the door is open Haman comes and he says you're all, in, you're, you're all inside this building all of you you're all inside this building I am pouring kerosene around the building in a couple of months from now I'm coming back and I'm going to light the building and you're all going to burn to death that's basically what he said but you know what the door is open. Anybody that wants to leave? You want to leave with your families, with your little children? Go. That's what it was. And he didn't say, I'm coming back in a few hours. You say, if, if, if people came in and said, you know what, you're all inside this building, we're coming back in 10 minutes, make your decision. So you can say that what? That suddenly, like the religiosity, the religious side of them got the better of. I can understand it. Sometimes we become fanatical for like 10 minutes. But imagine being in that building and you can go to sleep and wake up and eat breakfast. And then you'll have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a week, two weeks, a month, two months, three months, spring, winter. You can look outside the window and see the snow falling. And then you see a rain shower, beautiful days, bird chirping every season you see everything passing by you see your children everything everything you love about this world everything that's beautiful about life you have all this time to think wouldn't you think that a couple of families would walk out the door and say you know why can't we just why do I have to die this miserable death we can leave because the decree was only on Yehudim. Yehudim means those who believed in, in the Jewish faith. So anybody that was willing to renounce his faith. Gizunter hate, go. Now, what would you what would make sense? Slowly but surely people would start trickling out. Who would remain inside? A couple of tzadikim. By the time the year is over, you would expect there's a couple of fanatic Jews, tzaddikim, people that have really, you know, no other reason to live but to serve God. A couple of old yidden, but everybody, most of the people left. Some people, the extremely religious, devout, great scholars and whatever, they stayed to die, but everybody else would leave. The crazy thing was that during the time of Purim. Huge chunks of the Jewish people weren't religious. So many of the Persian Jewish people married non Jewish wives. That takes that, that, that that's pretty serious. They were they they were didn't care much about their religion. What? Yeah, they believed in yeah, but but they had Kind of abandoned much of Jewish practice, and there wasn't even one Jew. One, there wasn't even one Jew who left. They had an entire year to think about it. Now one Jew left. So the Alter Rebbe says, "Why? Do you think it's because of Olam Haba? How many Jews? How many? When you say we say, it's because Jews all believe that the world to come, if they die now." All Christians believe in heaven. Go ask Jews if they believe in heaven. Maybe, I don't know. I'm talking about from Yiddin, yeah. Go out in the street to ask the Jews. I don't believe it. I believe in heaven. Yeah, afterlife, I don't know. So why are you giving your life up? You know what happened? The idea of ceasing to be a Jew was was, was just unacceptable. It was unacceptable. And in a manner where you're not going to get anything for it. You're not going to gain anything. Because most of those people were very, 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 very not spiritual. spiritual people, you can say, you're giving up what? A material existence. And you're going to get an exchange of spiritual existence. So we're going to burn for a couple of minutes. We're going to have a lot of pain. Die. But then our souls are going to enter into bliss and ecstasy forever and ever. Go sell that to go sell that to Jews, business people, people who have beautiful homes, people that that I should give up all my material pleasures, and you're telling me that I'm going to get. That's not the motivation. The Alter Rebbe says that's not mesiras nefesh. And that's not what drove, what drives or what drove the Jewish people to give their lives. It wasn't because the promise of heaven, the real reason why Jews give their, their, their lives al Kiddush Hashem is utterly insane. There is no reason. It's not with any logic. What then is it? Because our logic is not us. Our logic is a little tiny piece of us. Beyond the our logic is a much greater subconscious self, a much bigger being. And our connection to God on that level is just because. There is no reason. And I'm not looking for any gain. It just is. The connection is. I am Jewish and I am Jewish. That's the end. I cannot not be Jewish. That's all that it is. There is no calculation. It's an insane stubbornness. It's a totally insane stubbornness. You know what it is? Hashem is carved out. Remember we spoke about the signet ring? There's the carving in the ring. Hashem carves Himself out in our essence. And because He put His imprint into our essence, we cannot deny Him. At any cost, we just cannot do that. And that's why every single Jewish person was willing to give their lives up. When we reveal that our connection to God has nothing to do with reasons and calculations and explanations, and logical gains we uncover the same thing in Hashem as well that His love for us is also not because of all the explanations reasons and whatever it just is and that's where the miracle of Purim came about Purim is the one day of the year where essence and essence come together We are Hashem's truest, deepest self, where He loves us because for no reason at all. And we love Him for no reason at all. Comes out. The purest, purest, innermost point of of connection between the Jew and Hashem. Comes out. Even much more, even stronger, far more potent than on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, a little bit of this reveals itself. That's why we're forgiven for all our sins. But Purim, 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 this dimension, as the relationship suddenly is, the external aspects of the relationship are peeled away. All the explanations that could be given for this connection between these two are suddenly removed and there's no explanation. Hashem has to admit, I'm sorry. It's almost like Hashem says, I have Bechira and everything. But the one thing I have no Bechira is to drop my people. Why? And that too He chose. That, that too is His choice. His choice is that He has no choice with us. And that's it. That's so what the abishter says, To switch them with another nation, I cannot. Even if another nation would be far more, um, God forbid, if another nation would be far more useful for God, for Hashem to fulfill His purpose in creation, And the Jewish people are lousy in their performance of mitzvahs. So there is no gain for God to hold on to Israel. Purim comes along and Purim says, doesn't make a difference. Based on all levels of deservance, Jews didn't deserve to be saved then. But what happened on Purim was, We said to God, "We're not religious. We're not observant. We don't care about spirituality. It all doesn't matter to us. We love the material, physical world. We enjoy life very much. This is what gives us a thrill. This is what gives it. But you want me to stop being Jewish? Do you want me to 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 to? What does that mean? That means to sever myself from Hashem. I can't do that." doesn't make a difference. It's not because of religiosity. It's not because of spirituality. It's not because it makes me feel thrilling. I don't feel anything. I'm married to a shiksa. I feel something. I don't feel anything. But you know what? You want me to stop being a Jew? I can't. You're going to kill me? Kill me. You're going to kill my family? Kill my family. I cannot do it. So what does it do to God. Realize, it's, it's not, it, as we uncover our essence, the essence of above was also uncovered. That the Jewish people are loved just because. So Haman goes up to a place where what? Where reasons are all irrelevant. And you're right, reasons are irrelevant. But just like our devotion to Hashem is not because of a reason just because, Hashem's re- devotion to us is not because of a reason just because. And that's why, what do we do on Purim? We intoxicate ourselves until our mind, it becomes a non-factor. And what exactly are we intoxicating, and what is the degree of intoxication that we need to reach? That Haman and Mordechai are equal. That means that we're not, that we're not, we're not attracted to goodness because of all the nice things that goodness are. We don't love Mordechai because Mordechai, because our mind tells us that Mordechai is beautiful and good. And, and, and we don't hate bad because of all the, all the reasons why bad is bad. What happens when we don't know the difference between Arar Haman and Baruch Mordechai? What do we say? Did you ever hear a Jew run out, get intoxicated, and then say, Chas Feshalim, Arar Mordechai and Baruch Haman? No, there was never a Jew who ever said that. You get intoxicated to a place where you don't know the difference between Ar-Haman and Baruch Mordechai. And from the place where you don't know because your mind isn't working anymore, from your essence you cry, Baruch Mordechai and Ar-Haman. You're choosing holiness. Mordechai means Kedusha. And 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 Hama means evil and sin and bad and everything. You're choosing Hashem, Kadush and holiness, not because of calculations and reasons, but because of your essence. Because that's who you are, not because of an explanation, not because of a reason. And God does the same thing. I choose you because so I choose. So the deepest union between Hashem and the Jewish people is revealed on Pur. So now, this all this is hinted to in the ring. The Rebbe explains an amazing thing. The ring is a circle. The ring represents in the soul we have a ring inside of us. The ring is that which is above our processing consciousness. Because we can look at it like this. There is a string and there's a ring around it. The string is from where reason begins. Chachma is first understanding, what our minds perceive. Bina is our fully grasping of a subject. Das is fully identifying with it. And then comes emotions, and then comes thoughts. That's all our conscious experience. And that's usually what we operate on. What generally we operate are our conscious mind and our conscious decisions as we navigate through life. What's our navigation device? How do we navigate? Hopefully. It's a conflict. We try to use our mind. Uh, of course it's a challenge because sometimes our emotions are in conflict with our mind. We? But we know that if we're doing the right thing we try to get our mind to be like kind of the navigation system, the GPS in our life is our mind. Okay, We do know that our subconscious forces that are working in the background that sometimes like that have big impact on us on the decisions we make but that's like kind of weird in the background that's the ring what's the ring? That's that which is higher than what we can process so here's the idea what's what's, in, what's embedded in our ring a Jew on his conscious mind can be what? Can have various different levels of how much we appreciate God, how much we appreciate Torah and mitzvahs, and how much and to what degree is this important to us. Everybody, different levels, even our own, in our own selves, we know. There are days that your Yiddishkeit is far more important to you. And there are days that kind of Yiddishkeit goes very much into the background, and we get like filled with connections to other things and Others, right? And go, go through, and then look at all the Jewish people. Everybody's so different. To what degree, consciously, we are devoted, caring? You speak to some people, and they'll—they're a treasure trove of wisdom and understanding of knowledge and of of deep understanding of being what at Torah and Mitzvahs and Judaism. It's it's beautiful. Then you meet people totally ignorant, know nothing. All those differences are only in what? In the string of consciousness, beginning from the intellect and the mind. Once you hit the subconscious, the surrounding, the deeper part, what's in there? There, there's only one truth. There, on that level, the Jew really, 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 really is connected to God. Every in. And that's the reason why, he's going to explain in a moment, a Jew is very different than a non-Jew. The non-Jew does not have that subconscious connection. That very deep subconscious, superconscious connection in the same way the Jew has it. And that's why the non-Jew, when he chooses consciously to be religious, very religious, very devout. There are some magnificent, devout non-Jews who are beautiful, beautiful human beings. A lot, not just a few, it's a lot. But, If consciously the person decides to enjoy the world, to live a life of pleasure and enjoyment in the material, then guess what? Believe it or not, it's very hard for us to believe this, but a non-Jew, when he chooses to live a very materialistic life, guess what? He or she gets tremendous fulfillment from it. It's their life. There's nothing in conflict with it. So they can enjoy a party and really enjoy it. And walk away and it's like, ah! Ultimately fulfillment and pleasure and enjoyment. And really be happy with it. The Jew goes to the party, has a wonderful time, gets drunk, does this, does whatever and is sick the next day. Or even if he's not the next day sick, something deep inside is so dis... It just doesn't work. The reason why it doesn't work is because the ring, the higher than the consciousness, that place is devoted to God. So even if consciously the person is completely separated from that subconscious higher self there is a certain angst, there's a certain anxiety there all along a Jew cannot really have, the, he will be obsessed with business, with making money with this, with that and with that but it never it never leaves him with satisfaction because his true and underlying desire is to be connected to Hashem and he's not finding it in all these material pursuits the Jew has that ring, yes Yeah, he keeps on pursuing because he thinks that it's going to give him that, that, that thrill, but it's not. That's the problem. Unless he's going to discover that deeper, higher self-connecting to Hashem, he or she cannot find fulfillment. That's why a non-Jew could be happy in this world, living a material life. A Jew cannot. And let's read it in his holy words over here in the, in the mimer. Let's read it inside. And let's see. Vatam. We're holding over here on page 240. All this was a long introduction. Okay. Vahatam. And the reason, this is on page 240. If I, I gave you a few copies. We started 238, then this page, Kufchaf, then this page 240. This is the second column on page 240. The line, the column begins with the word Lamila. See on the second column, the word Lamila. You have to go down. Three quarters down before you see there's perikhes, so a quarter of the way up before perikhes, there's a word. You know what? Let's go from perikhes. That's the closest place, and let's count on top of perikhes the lines. You got one short line. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen lines before perikhes. The first word on the line is likneses Yisrael. It's an abbreviation word. And we're holding by after the word vidal, there's a little pintala, there's a little dot, and we're holding vahatam. And the reason, sha'ya de tabas davka, the reason that this is revealed through the tabas, ki a tabas why a ring, ki a tabas agula. Because the ring, the, the, the ring is round. mezas makif. So that is. Hinting to that which is above our mind. Makif meaning the encompassing, the subconscious, the superconscious, that which is higher than our intellect, the sovev and that which is around. And even if on the conscious level of choices, you have all the different levels of Jews, Jews more committed and Jews less committed, Uk'neses Yisrael, but on the level of the ring, see Haman is making a mistake. He thinks God loves the Jewish people only on the level of reason. But on the level beyond reason, it can be anything. What, he's, what he doesn't realize is, no, 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 that's where the relationship is much deeper. Uk'neses role and the Jewish people, makif shalahem, And the Jewish people in their makif, in their sovev, which means in their encompassing place, heimodvukim, hear these words, they cleave, every single Jew cleaves, ba'apsmus elikus, in the essence of God. Even if the Jew is kicking and screaming and fighting against it. That's the crazy thing. Even if consciously the person is doing whatever they can to fight against it, that's just a fact. It's higher than explanation and higher than knowledge. because we because we see we see this literally. by Jews even on the most pachas means those that are of the least value. Obviously, the least value religiously, observantly. Someone who is the least value in their Jewishness. Someone who gives their Jewishness the least value. It means it's very unimportant to them. Let's put it that way. You can't say a person is least less valuable. But what we could say is that they give their Jewishness the least attention. It's unimportant to them. Hagam, nevertheless. Hagam, even though sheyis aneg, that he finds pleasure, may usher from wealth, covet, and prestige, and honor, Harbe, and he enjoys it immensely. Im kolze, and nevertheless, ein ze This is not the main innermost of his, of his desire, of her desire or his desire. And it's never, and he's not fulfilled. His inner deeper desire is not fulfilled. In other words, it doesn't really, it works temporarily. It works like for now, yes. But there is something deep inside that's gnawing, that's unhappy, that's unsatisfied and unfulfilled. Because at the inner point of his being, he desires something. And he himself doesn't know about it, but the, it, that's, it's, it makes him crazy. Masha ke'in ba'akum, which is not the case by a non-Jew. The zau iker their main desire is in the pleasure of the physical and the material. But, but he explains, what does it mean that it's in a level of a ring? The Jewish person, man or woman, doesn't feel this, al based on an explanation, on a rational, logical explanation. But this is embedded in the person beyond a reason and intellect and rational logic. Rak, what, what is this? It has to do with our soul. It's because our souls are rooted in God, and we sense that, and we cannot become separated. lamaila Now you say, well, this person is not in touch with his soul. True. He's not too much of a soul person. He's a very material, physical person. So he explains. Ta agav di'i the lechazi, even though the person is not seeing it himself, Meaning you are not seeing it yourself. Mazlayhu Every person has a mazl. A little part of your neshama comes into your body. Most of your soul is up here. So even though consciously you're not seeing how deep your connection to God is, your mazzle up there sees it. And the mazzle up here is in this that's what we mean subconscious. Is sitting and 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 and, and, and causing this this dissatisfaction. And this is what the Jewish people say to God in Shir Hashirim, Shlom HaMelech, says like this, the, Hashem's bride, the Jewish people say, Put me, place me like a signet, like a ring, like a signet ring, like a seal on your heart. And the Zohar says like this, Like a, like a signet, the the Even though it goes over here and it goes over here. The Zohar says that the, the Jewish people say to Hashem, Put me like a ring on, like a signet on your heart. What does that mean? When you, have a, when you have a seal, watch this. When you have a seal, you seal something. What happens when you seal something? You put your entire image, the entire form that's on the signature. Is now imprinted on this on this uh, page, on this paper. What happens with the signet itself? What happens with that seal? The seal goes away. Where is the seal? The seal can travel. Where can the seal go? The seal can go into the other room. The seal can go a hundred miles away. Is that going to make an, Is that going to affect? The seal can be in the other side of the world. Once it put its signature, where? once it's put its signature somewhere, what happens? It remains there, even if the seal goes here, or goes over there. So what what are the Jewish people saying to God? Hear this. The Jewish people are saying to Hashem, listen Hashem, we've put put us like a seal in your heart. Which means, we are, are imprinted in your heart, meaning that, What's our inner, inner, inner... By Har Sinai, when we stood by Har Sinai, and we said we choose you, you know what we did? We sealed ourselves into you. Then the seal, what's the seal? The seal is the person. Now even though we're going another over on, we're going this way and this way, at times we're more religious, at times we're more observant, at other times we're so far away, we're maybe distant, but remember, the seal doesn't change. The image that is, that's imprinted in your heart is always there. And it works two ways. Hashem's image that He's put in our heart and our image that is in His heart. That means there is a certain depth in the Jewish soul that is always connected. It doesn't make a difference where the conscious mind takes us. In the subs, and maybe even, even, maybe even subconsciously, we can also be disconnected. But sub-subconsciously, or sub-sub-sub-sub-consciously, there theres always a place where the connection is there. And that's our essence. So even if we move here and there, and we're in all places, there is something of essence that is bonded together, that is, that is unseverable. And that's what it means, A'fagav diyukni ishtarabach, our image is placed in you the letters of the signet, in where the main will, the main will of the Jew is implanted in God. Our deepest will never changes. It's always for Hashem. And this is the whole idea of Purim. The whole idea of Purim is revealing the signature ring. The whole idea of Purim is revealing the essential connection that we have to Hashem that totally transcends logic and reason. Where was it revealed? Now he's going to explain that it was revealed in that generation when an entire generation was willing, they were told, in a year from now we're going to murder you all. We're going to murder you all. We're going to butcher every single Jew and no one not even one person decided to walk away that is totally an insane people and it's that insanity that purim that purim represents and that's why on purim we all are supposed to be crazy because that's the whole idea of purim the whole idea is the craziness of our relationship it's not rational and sane. All year long we're supposed to operate from reason and mind. On Purim we're operating on a much higher level than reason and mind. On a level of things that we want because we want, not because of any explanation. Anything that you want because of an argument, because of a reason is external. Something that you, that you just want, I'm going to see. Everything is always in the name. What is the name? The reason why it's called Purim who alshem poor is because of the poor, poor who a goral and what's the poor? Poor is the goral. Is the lot the inyan who and the idea is, the Fisha royim we see Shakal Hayamim yamim shayyur bnei besakana we see that all the days the Jewish people were in danger mptnei gazeras because of the decree of Haman shenim shechazman kamat meshech this time lasted almost a year. Because the decree was initiated. the Decree was in Nisan. That's when Haman cast the lots. That's when Ahasuerus gave him the ring. It was in Nisan. However, it was going to be executed when? In Adar. So from Nisan to Adar is a full year. Full 11 months. HaYakulam, or 12 months. HaYakulam b'pchenas mesiris nefesh. That entire year, the Jewish people were in a state of Messiris Nefesh yom. And every day. The beauty over here was what the Al is trying to say. It says by the Akedah Yitzchak, the reason why it took Avram Avinu to go three days, Hashem purposely wanted to make him take a long time. Because when you walk, first of all, when you walk, you have time to think. Walking is peaceful. You're walking, so Avram is walking with Yitzchak for three days. He had enough time to reconsider what he's doing, and with all that time, he didn't change his mind. And this is the main chiddush of Hashem gave them a full year to think about this. Full year. Every day. At at every time. At every hour. Ki bechol shav v'shav at every hour ha'yum muchanim limsair nafsham lahariga, they were all ready to give themselves up lahariga to be killed, v'loy lavar daschas v'shav, and not God forbid, to to give up on their on their faith on who they belong to, v'loy Allah shum echad mehem, it did not rise. In the, in the minds of any single one of them, a thought even to stop to give up on to stop being Jewish. and this idea, this powerful, this determination, this stubbornness, this was they couldn't explain why they're doing it. It wasn't a, a rational explanation. Because he explains that's the truth of mesiras nefesh. What does mesiras nefesh means? You're sacrificing. What, sac- what, do, what does sacrifice mean? Sacrifice means giving up. So when a jihadi gives his life, God forbid, is he giving up? He's not giving up anything. It's not mesiras nefesh. It's not sa- self sacrifice. What is it? It's exchange. He's looking to gain something. He has a miserable life anyways, living there in the, in the, in the slums of wherever. He's promised he's going to go to Gan Eden, paradise, and have uh, whatever. So he's exchanging his miserable life, for something better. He's a man of faith. He has very strong faith. You know, if he would know what happens the moment after he goes over to the other side, go, oh wow! All right. <laughs> he doesn't realize that. But he answers Amuna that he's going to go on the other side, and they're going to be waiting for him there. Who knows what? That's his Amuna. So, is this person a se- selfless individual? Is this jihadi selfless? He's the most selfish, despicable person. Why? Because he's willing to murder men, women, and children that he never even met that he doesn't even know, so that he can improve his own life. A disgusting, selfish, self-absorbed pig. That's what we would say about any of these jihadi people. Because he's, he's willing. It's one thing if you want to blast yourself into a million pieces on the middle of a rowboat, in the middle of an empty lake. hate. You want to have a Gan Eden? Go for it. But you to kill innocent people in a marketplace, you don't even know just because you want to have something better, That's not Masiris Nefesh. That's the most self absorbed, despicable being. Anytime you give up, now everything in this world is sacrifice. A doctor goes to school, torture for 10 years, schooling and residency and whatever. When all the other college kids are partying and having a good time, I have to study for tests and this and that. Is that self sacrifice? It's a sacrifice, but it's not a sacrifice because they, they want the greater good they want to have a what? they want to have a prestigious job they want to make a lot of money and they know that the good that they're going to benefit if they after they put themselves through the misery of school it's all going to be worth it for the end that's not self-sacrifice so I'm saying but generally at any time a person gives up one thing for something better it's not a sacrifice So the Rebbe is saying, what happens if a religious person thinks that I'm going to die because I believe that I'm going to go on the other world and I'm going to get the biggest light that God is going to give me for dying. That's not sacrifice. We wouldn't call it Mesir Asnefesh. You're just exchanging, you're just a smaller good. Sacrifice means you're really giving up. I love you so much and I'm willing to give up for you. I'm going to lose. But I'm giving up because I love you. when a person gives his life up al Hashem, a Jew, it's not because of any calculation it's because there's no alternative what's the alternative? to me stop being a Jew, I can't do it to deny God, I can't do it can't do it what, what's the price I'm going to have to pay? $10, got $10 $20, $100, $1 A million you have to pay the ultimate price so be it. I cannot, the other option is not an option. That is sacrifice. And that's Jewish mysteriousness. But that's not, the does the mind agree to that? that means, you're silly, you're ridiculous. Why would you do that? You're crazy. I, if you meet a person like this, you you're crazy. Why? Why? And What are you going to gain? You're going to obliterate yourself. I'm not saying God forbid that when someone dies they obliterate themselves no they get Ghanedin and they have the highest Ghanedin for sure but that's not the calculation the calculation that has driven Jews because there were many people who gave their lives up who you asked them if they believe in heaven they didn't believe in heaven either they gave their life anyway because they could not not be a Jew they don't know much about heaven so you say why do you do this? The mind, the reason, always needs a reason. What's a reason? Reason means, give me the gain. What are you going to gain? If I can't give you an answer, what i am going to gain? I can't gain anything. So why are you doing it? If you can't gain anything, and you're only harming yourself, so why are you doing it? And you're doing it anyways, it means that you're a shuganah. That you're crazy. Ah! That's the point the Altar is making. Jews are crazy. We spent... Three weeks, Thursday night learning, the last three weeks learning this, mimer, to come to this conclusion: Jews are crazy about one thing—about their relationship with God. They're crazy. They're insanely Jewish. It wasn't based on reason. The main idea of mesiras nefesh, who is when it's not based on reason. This that it, it writes in the books of fear, which means books, books like the duties of the heart, and other books. And the, I think that love, and it gives reasons for love, why we should love God. And it gives a lot of reasons. And in the different far. he says, they're great. But those reasons will, will only bring you to doing mitzvahs, but not to give your life. Um, this that it says in books, that the love that is based on reason, Nikra, Mesiris Nefesh, is called Mesiris Nefesh, the Al rebbe argues on all of that. The love that is of Mesiris Nefesh is beyond all explanations and all reason, V'aseichel var pilamisha moy al kiddish hashem and even someone who gives his life up al kiddish hashem the al mamish in the literal sense even someone who gives his life up al kiddish hashem im if his kavana if his intention is to achieve something ma kama yamnasla pras to receive a reward okay this is not real mitsirus nefesh. You didn't sacrifice. What did he sacrifice? You're going to gain. A great gain. That's what everybody's doing. Everybody in the world is wheeling and dealing to get a gain. This is another form of wheeling. If you give, if someone gives his life, puts his life in danger to make a lot of money. So you say, I risked my life because money is very important to me. And I make a lot of money. Or that they should become powerful. People who risk their reputation, they risk everything, and they run for president. And then they end up tsaris kahakta tsaris, you know, everybody. Oh, but it's worth it for them. It was, there's such an obsession to be famous and powerful. Is that a sacrifice? No. It's the ultimate. You, you're paying the price for an ultimate uh, gain. Even if a person literally gave his life. It's not real. By serving a God. That's because you want to achieve something better than what you have now. The Im Kain, He, He, Shekvar, hoyem Ye, Meshukah, You're still into fulfilling your own desires. Ativiyim. Ela Shemagiyah L'cheyfetz V'ratzen Yaker Yoy. So you're looking to something more precious. Ela ikker Inyem Mesir As-Nefesh, the real idea of Mesir As-Nefesh, Amitiz, Shaloi La'agiyah L'shom Cheyfetz V'ratzen Zul As-Lavaday. I don't want anything. Like it says, "Mili b'shamayim, who is to me in the heavens?" The imchalei chafatzti ba'aretz, and what is with you? I don't desire on earth. We went over on the next page, on page kufchaf aleph. The zei afsher kiim lamaylam and atam v'das. This has this is completely beyond reason. V'dayla mev. The zehu inyan purim, and this is the idea of purim. Alsham apur who aguiral purim is called a guiral. The ine kamoi ha'guiral what is gorol? she apiru we cast lots how the lot will fall so the matter will be established interesting a lot when i'm when i'm when i'm throwing a, when i'm casting lots for something means that i'm not going to choose based on my mind because a lottery means i'm giving it up to luck Whatever is going to be chosen. My mind is not going to be a factor. In my decision, whether I'm going to go to the party or I'm not going to go to the party, whether I'm going to go on the trip or I'm not going to go, whether I'm going to build a red house or a blue house, whatever it is, I'm going to buy the blue car, it's not going to be based on any rational thinking. I'm just going to throw, I'm going to, heads or tails. That's what I'm doing. means I'm giving it over to something that's totally outside of my explanation, this or that. Okay. So it's beyond reason. But he's saying even more than that it's even beyond will Why is it beyond will? A lottery is, is beyond will because what, the lottery itself Why? Because whatever the lottery is going to fall is going to determine my will it Means my will is going to follow the lottery If the lottery says the blue car, then that's gonna be my will. I want the blue car. Then if you try to give me the red car, I'm gonna go kicking and screaming. I'm not taking the red car. Don't give me the red car. I'm gonna send it back. I'm gonna call the company. I'm gonna make crazy. I'm gonna send it back 20 times. I'm not taking it. Why? You have no reason. The red is just as good. Once I threw a lottery and I flipped the dime, and I decided this is what I'm going with, I'm doing it that way. That means my will is following the lottery. That means that the lottery is not only higher than reason, it's higher than will. It determines will. So therefore it's called the will of all wills. The lottery is at the very, very... Obviously, lottery usually is outside of you. But in the soul, there's a level called lottery. The level called lottery is a place that's higher than all desires and wills. It's what determines all will. It's really your essence. That's your lottery. So, um, what is God's lottery? There's a level where Hashem is also on a level of lottery. And he's going to explain now that Purim and Yom Kippur, we touch the lottery. Purim and Yom Kippur are both the same. Like we say, Yom Kippur is called Yom Kippur, Kippurim. So the Zohar says, Yom Kippurim, like Purim. That Purim and Yom Kippur are associated. Why? What's the relationship between these two days? You couldn't have had two days in the year that are more opposite than each other. Yom Kippur is such a solemn, serious day. Purim is such a frey crazy day. Party day. And the two days are like extremely... Yet, both of them are very deeply connected. Why are they both so deeply connected? Because they both relate, both have the element of a lottery. In Yom Kippur, how was it decided which goat was going to go to God? The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, put two goats in front of him. One was going to go to Hashem and the other goat was going to go to the Satan. They're going to be thrown down a cliff. How was it determined? So we didn't bring down a whole... Con- you really you would think they would bring down a whole... You had the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin are the great scholars of Israel. Put the Jewish people in a room, bring, bring in the two goats, and let's start debating which one should we take. And I'm sure Jews would come up with a thousand explanations. And the Sanhedrin would be, take this one, I think you should take that one, back, forth, this, that. That's not what we did. More than that, the Gemara tells us that the two goats that we took had no reason to be chosen one or the other because they were both equal. They both were purchased from the same person. They were both purchased at the same time. In one purchase, they both looked the same, the same height, the same color, same value. There's any reason why this one should go? You can look into its eyes, you can try to figure out what, where and when. There's no reason why you should send this one to the highest peaks and why you should send this one down to hell. What is going to determine it? What is going to determine it? A lottery. That means that Yom Kippur, we're moving to a place where decisions are being made based on a lottery, not a What's on Purim? Purim is not only we ha- Yom Kippur, we have a lottery. But Yom Kippur is not lottery. Yom Kippur, there is a lottery. Purim, the day itself, is lottery. That means on Purim, the same thing. We enter into the lottery zone. We enter into the zone where there is no explanations whatsoever. But we choose good. Insanely choosing good. Just crazy. Crazy choosing of good, not because of any explanations. You see, whenever you have an explanation, whenever you're doing something because it's worth it, let's always understand that. Whenever you're doing something because it's worth it, then you always ask the question, how worth it is it? How worth it is it? Why am I going, here? Why am I going there? Ah, it's going to be, it's worth it. Oh, now how do you know you measure it? How worth it is it? Now what happens if by going there you're going to lose your payment, your work, you know, to your work? So purpose is I can't afford a day off. I can't skip my job for a day. That means that going to that place is not worth the loss of a hundred dollars that you're making that day. Say no, 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 it's worth it. Okay. What happens if by by um, going to this place you're going to lose a big business deal and it's not a hundred dollars, but it's you're going to lose. Then I have to reconsider. Is it still worth it or not? That's because I want to go because I have a good reason. And then I have to to value is the reason worth such a price. If I'm going to lose my entire business and everything, if I go, forget about it. I know I'm going to enjoy it. I know it's very special, but I'm not going to lose everything. That's if I want to go because I have a reason. But if I want to go just because I want to go and there's no reason at all, I just want to. That's what I have to do. Then it's possible that I'm going to give up everything. Because there's nothing to limit it. Because there's no... the, the, The desire is just pure desire. That's what I want. That's the idea. That's Purim. Let's read inside. <laughs> How the, will fall. So the matter will be established. The person hangs or depends his will on his Ba to the Gairo. when the way the girl will fall, Yes or no, so will be his will he is determining his will bimakhar haratzon in in the source of the of desire shnikra rotzon pashat which is called simple will where there's nothing else there but will a bizayar nikra rive the kol rivan and in the zohar this is called the will of all wills shlamaylim apchinaz giloyaratzon higher than the revealed desire fazau in yanapurim and this is the idea of purim shegavaya yoiser gam apchinaz yoimaki purim Purim is even higher than Yom Kippur. Sheharei Yom Kippur, Nikra Kippurim. Yom Kippur is called Kippurim. <speaking> Kaloy mar kamoi <in> ha-Purim, <Hebrew> it's like Purim, Bechofa Dimien. Bilvad Veloi kamoi Purim Mamish. It's not Purim itself, it's like Purim. Mechla'al she-Purim atzmoi gevoya me-Yom You see from here that Purim itself is higher than Yom Kippur. Since I say Yom Kippur is like Purim, that means, Ve'en <speaking in> yinu <Hebrew> And the idea is as follows. Now the idea of goyrol is also on Yom Kippur. By the two goats, that stand in front of God. Over here too, Yom Kippur, we are relegating something to the simple will, which is the source of all desires. Canal, like we said earlier. So why is Yom Kippur not as great as Purim? Yom Kippur also would seem to be reaching to the place where Hashem is choosing the Jewish people just because. That's why we're going up to a place of lotteries, where we're not making any calculations. And why do we do that on Yom Kippur? Let's understand why we do that. Because based on reason, we just stand there. We're saying Hashem do bagadno. We all look at ourselves and we say Gavald, I look ugly. We're standing in front of God and we say, We are ugly. We have all these sins that we've done. We don't deserve your love. Yet we're asking Hashem to still forgive us. Based on what? We're basically saying, Hashem, not for any reason, just because. So that's why we're evoking the lottery, because the whole idea is we want to make up with God. Even if we've blemished, even if we are undeserving of a relationship based on our accomplishments, our achievements, and our deservance, we want Hashem to love us nevertheless. Why? Just because. So we evoke that place. Very good. But why is it only like Purim? Why is it only like Purim and not Purim? So he says because Yom Kippur has some. It's because Yom Kippur has some restrictions. Even though on Yom Kippur we evoke this place where God loves us insanely without any explanations. But Yom Kippur has some limitations. Because who does God forgive? On Yom Kippur, those who do tshuva. If it would be totally, totally, totally without any reason whatsoever, does it really make a difference if who did tshuva, who didn't do tshuva? Make a difference. It just is. Tshuva, not true. The fact that it's limited to those who do chuva is a sign that there is still somewhat of a condition. Somewhat, which condition means somewhat of a reason. If you meet this criteria, then I love you without any reason. But I need, I need you to meet some criteria. Purim, the Jewish people, didn't necessarily do chuva him, they were just faced with a choice to sever their connection with God and they said, we cannot do that. Did they all become good, wonderful Jews? Did everybody become tzaddikim? No. But were they willing to stop being Jewish? It's like the famous story of yasa Laganav. Yosselah was a thief in the city of Shpala, And um, a whole story he broke into the church. A whole amazing story. And they caught him. And then they later gave him a choice. You know, the church, they caught him. And a Jew, a Jew coming to steal from the church. So they gave him the choice that he can, either they'll kill him, they'll burn him in a fire. They actually put a big, 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 big tub of tar and they had the tar burning for three days, boiling hot. And they told him that putting him in. He's going to burn in the worst, painful death. But he has a choice. If he's willing to shmard himself, if he's willing to, um, if he's willing to convert, then they'll, they'll let him off the hook. And they told him they're willing to do that. Now he's a thief. He was a th- all his life. That's what he did. He was the he was known as the Ganav. he was the town Ganav. everybody closed the lock. everybody locked the doors when he was around this is what type of Jew he was and that Yasala Ganav was screaming and shouting that I, that I, I'm Yassel, I am Yasala the thief I've done I, I, I'm, I, I'm not a good Jew I've sinned I didn't put on tefillin because when I was busy with a robbery I didn't have time for tefillin. I didn't have to I did all the sins in the world but don't ask me to to convert that I will never do. And slowly but surely, they were putting more of his body into the tar, and they kept on pulling him out and asking him, and he was in agonizing pain, and he kept on screaming over and over and over again, that Yasel the Ganav is Yasel of the Ganav, not this Yasel. And he's done all the sins in the world, but Shmad, he's never going to Shmad. And that's how his last, they heard him shouting and shouting until they didn't hear him anymore. He's buried in the city of Shpal. a Hashem, I was yesterday looking at the map because we're going to Ukraine. So I was looking at the city of Shpal, and, and one of the graves that I want to visit is the gravesite of Yasul Because Yasul Laganov is the quintessential Jew. I want, I can do every sin in the world. Shatan, And the same Yasil if they would have, for whatever reason, gotten away from do you think he would have become a tzaddik just because he's willing to give his life? No. He would have remained Yassal That was his profession. He was a Ganav. But don't ask me to, to deny God that I can't do that. Not don't. It's not up to him. It's like a choice. It's an it, it's a madness. It's not an explanation. What does Yassal Laganav think that he's going to die and he's going to be given Ghanai and he has to pay for all his sins? All his theory. I'm sure, they'll forgive him. Okay, I know that, but he wasn't. That was a chesm. Yassal Laganav is Yassal So. Oh, but so on Purim, it wasn't tshuva. We revealed Messiras Nafish. So what was revealed by God also doesn't make a difference. All the reasons don't make a difference. You're my people. I'm never going to exchange you. Just like you're not gonna exchange me, I'm not gonna exchange you. Not because you're not gonna exchange me. When it was revealed in us that we're not gonna exchange God for no reason, that that uncovered the same thing above that was always there, that God could not exchange us either for no reason. So His insane love to us was revealed, and our insane love to Hashem was revealed. Both of them revealed our deepest love to Him and His deepest love to us. Purim. And that's why Purim is not dependent on tshuva. Yom Kippur, there are some limitations. You have to do chuva, which means it's more... It's connected more to an external thing. Chuv is is much deeper than Torah and mitzvahs, but it's still not our essence. Chuv is our desire. This is deeper than desire. This is just who we are. Chuv is what I want. What does a person do, Chuv? I realize that all the sins that I do, which are all the things, that's not my true desire. I have a deeper desire. What's What's my deeper desire? To connect to Hashem. Purim is not that I have a deeper desire. Purim is, there is... The, the pure inner essence of the neshama is revealed. It's not even a desire. It's just who I am. That's why Yom Kippur is Kippurim like Purim. Ach, bekom makom ha'yitallu ba'ifin ha'tshuva, shere Yom Kippur, e'en ha'machap e'bulti yom tzos ha'tshuva. Yom Kippur is not atoning without tshuva dafk. Va'agam shah tshuva, hu'bchenes tshuva ilah. Even though it's a very high level of tshuva, it's a tshuva that has elements of mesiras nefesh, it. nefesh to it. If he doesn't do tshuva, achapa, is not an atonement do. but purim has an advantage. Masha the which yom kippur doesn't have. This is their mesiras nefesh. Sha'ila Mailam and atam which completely transcended all reason canal. And it's not that I want. It's I can't. There's a huge difference between what I want and I can't. I, I can't. Finished. It's only what God wants. That's why the days are called Purim, because what's revealed is the lottery. Now here's the beautiful thing. Yom Kippur, the lottery is revealed which is such a deep level but Yom Kippur, we're now allowed to eat we're now allowed to drink that means that this sublime level of soul that's revealed that our love to Hashem is so powerful and so strong it's above all of our other desires and all of our other ones but yet it remains it remains in the sublime levels of our soul it's just that Yom Kippur we rise up to higher levels of consciousness we go deeper inside of ourselves. But it doesn't reveal itself in the more external, everyday self. We rise into, the sancti- into this inner sanctuary of our soul, of our being. We discover how Jewish we are on Yom Kippur. But that is not revealed in our body in a complete way. We withdraw from our body to go into this chamber of connection on Yom Kippur. Purim, the deepest, innermost aspect of our soul is revealed. And it reveals itself in the total, fully, fully, fully manifest in our body. That's why what do we do on Purim? We party with our body. In other words, that holiness, that inner Kodesh akadashim, is revealed in vessels. Because when you say you have a party, it means that you have vessels to receive it. Purim, you have containers. It's revealed and you're able to handle it. Yom Kippur, Shehem says Galis oireis b'kelev. Now it's so strange. On the one hand, Purim is revealing what? The quintessence higher than Yom Kippur. But on the other hand, Yom Kippur, which is lower, cannot be revealed. The energy is too intense for it to be captured in a vessel. So you can't capture in a vessel. The only thing you can do is not do you can't do. You're not do. Yom Kippur, we don't do. We don't eat. We don't do this. We don't do. We don't. Yom Kippur is a day of not doing. Because you don't have a vessel to contain this powerful energy. Purim is even deeper than that. It's a higher level, yet we have vessels. You make a party and drink and be besimcha. And a very physical day. Purim is such a physical day. It's not a spiritual day. It's a very physical day. Because it's about identity, and identity is not spiritual. It's beyond spiritual. It's just who you are. You, you as you, 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 total you, you, with your body. But he says, The simcha causes the light to be revealed. And he wants to show the chiddush of how powerful, how great this is on Purim. We know when Mashiach will come, we're going to experience our inner light of our soul. Suddenly our soul is going to open up. And we're going to experience the intense love we have for God. But you know what it's going to do? It's going to cause us all to have a breakdown. When Mashiach comes, we're all going to have a breakdown. We're going to break down crying. Everybody's going to cry. Even the most hardened, cold person. Who generally like, has no emotion in Judaism. No feeling. Can be weeping like a baby. Because he himself is not gonna understand how intense his love for God is. And he's not gonna have any 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 vessels to hold it. So when you can't hold something, you cry. When your brain can't hold something, it's too intense. Tears are when the brain contracts very strongly and it gives out the juice. There's a contraction. There's like it can't handle it. That's where tears come. That's why there's tears of immense joy, you cry, and tears of immense pain. When Mashiach will come, there's going to be such revelation of love to God that we won't handle it, and joy, that we're just going to cry. With tears we're going to come. The light will not be able to settle in a vessel. With crying we will come. With tears, a canal. Avol ah, well, be purim, purim, we don't cry. Shezachu la we we merited even higher. nefesh we had real mesiras nefesh. What kind of mesiras nefesh? Mesiras nefesh that's not coming because of any desire. Mesiras nefesh that's coming because of who we are. That true, and we were willing to give up everything. There was, it wasn't like we were looking for something. There's nothing to nothing to gain. Nothing to look for. No. We were cleaving to the essence of the orin Then, guess what? Purim, we don't cry because we're able to handle it in a vessel. On Purim, we, have, we touch God's essence and yet we have the containers. See, so wait, it doesn't make any sense. If it's higher even than Yom Kippur, if it's even, then we're sure we shouldn't have vessels. And the answer is this, that we say that God is not vessel, vesselable. This that we say that God is not calulable. This that we say that he's that he's uncontainable in any vessels. That's only his light, but he himself can do whatever he wants. If he wants to contain him, be contained in a vessel, he can be contained in a vessel, because God has no limitations at all. His light is limited. What's his light limited in? His light is limited in being all supreme, all powerful, all. All, 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 boundless and limitless so it can't go into a vessel the light of Hashem His emanation is super, is infinite and by being infinite it can't be contained in finite vessels but God Himself can you put that restriction on God that He's too infinite and therefore He can't be in a vessel God can do whatever He wants since Purim is God Himself, not His light, so that's why we're able to take it in the vessel. Yom Kippur is Hashem's light. It can't, it can't go in a vessel. But Purim is even deeper. Even though based on the Yishtal shulus, the, the the Keli could not handle the light, since this is not... See, there, there's three levels. There is light that's hishtal shalos, That means an energy that is meant to fit a vessel. A certain energy that is meant to go into a container. Like this water can go into the cup. So I can't put the whole bottle in the cup. I can put a little bit, as much as the cup can hold. Now if I have this cup, it's a bigger cup. Ooh. So I can put more water into this cup because it's a larger cup than this cup. Or this cup can only take cold water. But if it's very hot water, I can't. This is a better vessel. It can take even hot. Okay? Fine. So above it's the same thing. There is energies that go into certain vessels. Then there is like this lava that is so burning hot that the hot cup is not going to help me. Gonna burn up everything. There's no vessel for it. So when there is divine lava, pshh, no one can handle it. You can't take it in a vessel. Fine. That's called the light that's above Hishtal uncontainable. But then there is something that's beyond that, that's above, above Hishtal, but it's not even limited to be limitless. That can go in a vessel. Not because a vessel could contain it, but because he can do whatever he wants and therefore he can allow himself to be contained. That's what he's saying the Kiddush of Purim is. Purim can be the impossible. Purim is a day of absolute absurdity. It's an absurd day. And that's why we're all absurd on Purim. It's, everything about Purim is contradictions. It's a totally absurd day. Omnam, ye ma'achashulamayla. Beatush yocholish wiki gamba marjit ye. Elchen hem hem nikra ye may mishte vesimcha. They're called days of joy and celebration. Kinich yain yayen yotza hassoi dafka. Because when wine goes in, the secret comes out. <speaking in the> Beprenas <Bible> ha It goes into vessels dafka. Beprenas ava betanugim, which is the love of delight. Shalifnea <speaking> atzilus, <in the Bible> that's higher than atzilus. Beprenasheba atzilus ena keili saivlisai. In Atzilus, the Kali can't hold it, but dafke in the physical world, it does reveal itself on Purim, because, the, because so the light, because the light has no definitions at all, because, because it's deeper than light. That's the idea But a dialogue. Now Haman, that's the miracle of Purim. Haman, however, first attempted to get up to this very, very, very powerful level called Lottery. And from there, Hama wanted to tip the scales in his favor. Because as we said before, the level, the level of lottery is not only higher than intellect, it's higher than desire. It decides desire. It decides will. So Hama figured, in that place, there's no calculations. Hashem is working completely from inside out. No outside influences influence him at all. It's only what he desires. So therefore, I can try my luck. Hama, um, because he wanted to receive the essence of the Orinsoivnek, the which is called the will of all wills, the and the hidden of all hidden,. You see, Haman um, knew that in the realms of logic, as I said earlier, he stands no chance. Haman also knew that in the realms of will, he also stands no chance. Because Hashem had already expressed his will when when Hashem gave the Torah, what did Hashem express his will? That he wants Torah, he wants holiness, and he doesn't want Klippah. So on the level of will, Hashem also made his decision. So where does Haman have to go if he wants to switch around the whole thing? He has to go to pre-will, what's even before will. And over there he figured he can turn everything around. So he therefore alkeinah saw hakol umas hakadoshah. He did everything opposite of holiness. Mamish, opposite over here means he mimicked. He mimicked holiness. For ba'mashah he pilpur. He went and he cast a lot. Who are lefneham? On this is the lottery in front of Amman Kaloymar. Mepneishah. Be as atzmoi b'chutzba this nasus yisera. He 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 raised himself up with tremendous chutzba. And it's nasus which means with extra um, elevation. ba'akum, as it says by the nations, "In if you will rise like an eagle." The Indian and the idea of this rising, This rising was also above reason and above 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 intellect. The In other words, does Haman have any 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 explanation of how we can get to this place? Plain chutzpah. Also beyond all reason. That's why he also cast a lots. Meaning I'm not deciding, I'm not looking for a good day. He's not considering any calculations. He's going to leave it up to something totally beyond his control. Totally. No. No, so it would be. That his will should be dependent on the Goral, hoping that just like the Goral is going to influence his will, that he will go along the Goral, he hoped also that he will cast lots, and God's will will follow where the lot goes, and the lot should fall in his favor. He wanted to mimic what we do on Yom Kippur. We go up to a place where, because we sinned, we don't deserve Hashem's love. So we go up to a place where Hashem is pre, pre a level of pre um, predecision or pre, um, pre-judgment, pre-favoring, pre-favor, and on that level, right? even if we didn't do the mitzvah, Hashem can still love us. He didn't yet decide that he wants. So that's why. So Haman did the same thing. He found out that holiness uses the lottery once in a while. When we want to gain God's favor when we're undeserving, that's on Yom Kippur. So he said, I want the same thing. I'm also undeserving. And let me gain God's favor on that very, very high level. That he should be able to receive from there as well. Hashem heyshev machshavtei hara, turned the tables on him. Achachash of ala Yehudim, which he thought about the Jewish people, al-Rashev on his own head. Talu oisev e'ezbanav, and he hung him up and his children. Al-king karu liyama me'elev purim, al-shem apur. That's why the days are called purim. Shalom ma'ilam i'am it's even higher than Yom Kippur, kideskeliel. Achak ha'kimu v'kiblua Yehudim, and afterwards they accepted this day. In other words, this was exposed one time. But we were able to capture it. We had a Kodak moment. We were able to snap a picture of that great light that happened that year. And we were able to re reenact that every year. <speaking in Hebrew> this Giloy of the essence of Goral, of the, of this lottery, which revealed itself on Purim, is recaptured every year. It's there. It was, it was embedded in our calendar. <speaking> in <Hebrew> a little trace of it. Pchenas Choisam, a little signature. Me Oisa Ara, me Pchenas Nitzchias. That Ara remained. Me Pchenas Nitzchias. Tom Tomoit oilom, It never budges. E Kamaim Razzal. The sages say. Kolam Ayadim B'Teilim. Sages say that all the Yom will become butl. Will become when Mashiach comes. We won't have any of the other holidays. But Purim will always be. V'ishakol Hamayadim and Me Pchenas Oyresh BeKelim all the other holidays every every holiday is a vessel in which we have certain lights that go into that vessel. there's an energy oh, but which type of energies can it can the vessel hold? the vessel can only hold as we spoke earlier about the cup the the, the limited lights that are given to the to these 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 um, limited projections of Hashem's light they can come into vessels. If you give a radiance from the higher light that's not, that's, not, that's not adjusted, what is it going to do to the vessel? It's going to nullify it. It's going to break the vessel. That's why when Mashiach comes and we're going to experience the light that's going to cause us all to cry, which means it's higher than Kalim, it's going to nullify the, the Yom as well. Besides Purim. Because Purim has both mylas. Purim first of all is coming from a place even deeper than the Urain Seif. Purim is coming from the atzmus of Hashem, from the very essence of God, which, as strangely as that is, precisely because it's above the light, it has no limitations at all, and it can be contained in a vessel as well. So Purim, we have both gashmi thicker containers to hold something that is above b'li-gavul. There is gvul, there is b'li gvul, and there is above b'li-gavul. is e- eminence, there is beyond, and then there is beyond-beyond. And Purim is beyond-beyond. Apisei beyond. derishtahos was the Abiyah. Avalka Ya yaor shalifne ya'atzilas. When the light before A'atzilas comes, lo yechelenu hakelem, the vessels can't hold it. Ve battle. they will become bottle. Ma'ashen ken purim ya'apurim which is in the days of Purim. Shem yamey simcha, days of rejoicing behem ya'giyah or Bikeli. The light can come into a keli. Gam m'pechinnas oise yaor shalifne koleshtahos also from that light that's before all the Yishtal Atam, because it's coming from the Pneemius of that light. Or Apurim Yavru will never ever be removed. V'gam even in the days of Mashiach. V'zichram Mizaram And their remembrance will never depart from their children, and it is enough to those who understand. Okay, we're gonna take a little break. We're just gonna this, this this last piece is gonna be a half an hour. We'll take a little break. We'll come back. We'll finish it up, and we'll celebrate Purim. Okay, so we continue over here now. The last sif. Vezahu, and this is the meaning of a yikacham. Now, the last piece, I don't really, I didn't get it when I was learning it, but maybe Hashem will help now, we'll understand it a little better. Vezahu, and this is the meaning of a yikacham, and Eselavush Veselasus. Haman took the garment and he took the horse. Pidish al Yadei, Prenas Haman, through Haman, Nimshak, Prenas Lavush Malkush. This is what drew down this garment, Ashelavish by Vesusa Vesus, Ashelavish by Amelech. He was the one who brought down the garment that the king wore, and he was the one who brought the horse, and he was the one who ultimately got it to Mordechai. How, how does this work? What does it have to do with Haman that he should do this? This is the idea what the sages say. Haman, where do we find Haman in the Torah? The sages say, it's interesting, only by the Megillah do they go around and they say, where do we find this guy in the Torah? Where do we find this one in the Torah? Because everything is supposed to be hinted to in the Torah. Where do we find Haman in the Torah? So they say, because it says, when Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge, Hashem said, Haminah ate, did you eat from the tree? So the word Hamin is the words Haman. Fine. Okay. So what is the, what is the, what is the, how does, what, what does that mean? Piddish. Al-tarach nal is When the sages say Haman, where is Haman in the Torah? They don't mean only, find me a sign for Haman. Let's see where the Torah predicts that there is going to be a man called Haman. What they're really saying is, Haman is a despicable, despicable, arrogant person. Where do we find Haman in holiness? If Haman is in the Torah, meaning where is he in holy? Because everything, see in the unholy nothing is original. So if something exists, it has to first exist in holiness. But what did we say earlier? Haman is arrogance, self-pride self, self pride and all of that. And what did we say earlier? That a scholar has to have a little bit of, of pride. So that's, that's what we mean, Hamit, and we know. And that's, that's connected to the eights, to the tree of knowledge. Because it says that what did the tree of knowledge give Adam and Chabah? What did the tree of knowledge give Adam and Chava? What did it make them? It gave them self-awareness. Before they ate in the tree of knowledge, they were, not, they were so nullified to God, they didn't feel themselves. Afterwards, they started feeling themselves to the point where they where they felt unclothed and embarrassed and, because they became self-aware. So you see that what? That the tree, Eitz HaDas, is associated with this with, with a sense of self with a sense of self so that's what we mean Hama, but is that kadusha? is that good? usually that's not good but we said you need to have one sixty-fourth one tiny bit needs to have an eighth of an eighth that crowns him like a like the beard on top of a top of a wheat stalk which is the wheat stalk and the reason, and the way it works is, what did we say earlier? Why do we have to have this little bit of pride? Let's go back to the beginning of the discourse. It, there has to be an union of gassus, of density of holiness, which we said inspires us, turning away from bad, and doing good, as we said earlier. And what does that cause? That causes above a serusa deliela, an arousal of above. It causes the supernal pride. Leo is key, for Hashem to rise above the big shots. Remember we said? So when Haman was trying to pull God's favor to him, we needed something to counter that, to cause Hashem to withdraw from Haman and not go in. Because remember, Haman is going to a very high place where everything is equal. Where it's possible that the dice. Haman is casting dice. Hashem is casting dice. These are the lots can go towards Haman. And in a sense, it worked. Because in the beginning it did it did go towards Haman. Haman threw a lot to destroy the Jewish people, and it worked. Not only that, the king gave him his ring. So you see, it did go to Haman's. Now you needed to yank it away from Haman. So you needed Hashem to go into a state of what? Withdrawal. Which comes from what? As we spoke earlier, when Hashem goes into a state of pride. Which is affected by our pride. So, Not to give sustenance to the other side. The gasus down here took as the sus of and the horse of the king. Remember, we said sus is one hundred and twenty-six two times gas. To evoke this gaiva below, which causes the gaiva, which causes the arrogance above, not arrogance, it causes the pride above. Now the bad Haman wanted he wanted the garment and the king's horse to be drawn to him. Omar, like he said, who is the king desiring to make to, to honor more than me? This is through the chutzpah and the gassus of klipah and the, and the arrogance of klipah as it says by the nations in Tagbi or Kinesher, if you're gonna rise like an eagle, yeah, that's their intention. They want to rise very high. And this is caused with, with his negative chutzpah, caused the serusa it caused the to evoke and to provoke the supernal pride. Nimshach on de clipper to be drawn to Haman of Klippa. melech again, but what was exactly his intention to evoke the pride? I'm not exactly sure. but the king commanded this Haman of Klippa, the unholy Haman, that it should be transformed to holiness. What does that mean? That the horse that Haman was was acting. Asking for, should be a pride, but it should go from Mordechai, which means it should become the pride of the Talmud Chacham, who has pride in what? As we spoke earlier, where he says that I'm a yid, I'm not going to do an avera. I'm, right, or as we spoke earlier, the whole idea, the whole beginning of the class today, we spoke about the pride of holiness prevents us from doing a sin. Or motivates us to do a mitzvah. It becomes the holy Haman. kiss in in Vuhu which as we said before, Haman's essence is Gaiva, but Gaiva could be used in holiness. The little bit of pride that is in the Torah Kala. The which crowns him like a crown to a a, a, a kernel of wheat, as we said earlier, a kernel. That's what the sages say, and where is Haman in the Torah? Where do we find the holy Haman? Take the lavush. take the Sus. Because in this arrogance that Haman is going to have, which the Talmud Chacham below is going to utilize this pride, this is going to cause the silok, the removal of Hashem's flow into the unholy. Because in this, arousal from below. In holy gassus, this will stimulate the arousal above. To be that he, he's, he's great over those that are great and it is enough to those who understand. With this idea will understand the teaching of the Zohar. Where the Zohar said this, the When the other side is subdued, The glory of God rises above. What is the meaning of subduing the other side? The simple meaning is whenever you crush the other side, whenever you don't give in to a temptation, whenever you have an animal desire and you say no, whenever you crush your ego, oh, that's a ya Sitra or the other side is subdued. The glory of God rises in all worlds. Fine. But here's a deeper meaning. Eskaf Sitra sitra'ach, when you take away the hatchet from the klipa, and you use that very same hatchet to destroy the klipa, that means that you're taking arrogance, that klipa is all about arrogance. Kiddush is all about the bitum. Kalipa is about arrogance. But you're taking the arrogance from the kalipa and you're using it for holy arrogance, for holy pride. That causes God's glory to rise. And when Hashem's glory rises, Hashem becomes important in his own eyes. And he says, I don't want to give life to that which is antithetical to me. The sitra achra is subdued because of the holy pride. Kamoshakasa laasad lava. He has stated in, in, about Mashiach. Ubo and 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 they will run the b'marei surim in the cleft of rocks. It may pachad Hashem because of the fear and dread of God. Vadar gohenei. Had with this stalik. Yekarta dekutre berichu. God's glory rises. Benish stalik shenis alab chen asaroyim musveis nassus batzmusai. This roymimus. This elevation. Rises into himself. Where Hashem doesn't want to give to that which is undeserving. It retracts upward. Because if you let the light run its natural course, which is to flow everywhere because Hashem is humble, then, then the light would go down below ad without an end and even even in on the other side but because it is retracted above so that puts limitations on the light of the flow but to come down with great discrepancy and with great discrimination of where it's going to go and where it is not going to go and all this that caused that God's glory should rise in the time of Golis, that it was in the days of Golis, even though it was in the days of Golis, where in general the flow was going to the wrong direction. So now the Mesirah's nefesh, what caused it to reverse it's, 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 uh, it's direction, it should go. It came about because the Jewish people as a whole stood with total self-sacrifice. That is completely above reason. Which means we went into our essence. That caused God also to rise into His essence. This caused a retracting light, to evoke the essence of the Oren That's above the entire progressive order. Because even at the time when the Torah was given, The Jewish people accepting the Torah, saying, and all of that, did not reach as deep as the general Mesir nefesh did. Because we did not, we didn't, we didn't um, evoke in such a deep place like we did on Purim, even by the giving of the Torah. Like it says, that by Matan Torah, we reaccepted that which we started. Because in Matan Torah, we only began. And in the days of Achashveros Gomru we completed that whom and the reason is let it should Esther because in the days of Esther hagam shahayep khnas haster ponim Esther means concealment o kama shikhas like it says vanochi Esther Esther ponai I will hide my face fa amnam zol mayli yser yoser gamam khnas ores but this very concealment is really a much higher quality than the radiant face of god that was shining by the giving of the torah because in this concealment, he went back deep, deep, deep inside himself, and from that very deep place, from that's where he connected to us. The and the light was drawn from a far more inner, private place. As we said earlier, that for this reason, Yashum Yisrael Maila Bepurim. There is a quality to Purim, because Yom Kippur is from a deep place, but not as deep as Purim is. That's why it says, And the days of this Purim lo yavru, will never be removed from the Jewish people. Because the concealment of God's face, that came through our Mesiris Nefesh, that we rose into our deepest point of self, Causing God to rise into his deepest point of self. Is stronger and greater than the radiant of the face. That's why God's name is not mentioned in the entire Megillah. It says only the king, which is referring to God. is because this is indicative on the essence of Hashem. Not on any of his projections. Hapashot, that is simple. The mufshat is removing me call shame from any name. A as it says, ant memala kol shmon, you fill all names. So you fill all names, but that's a filling. But then there is you yourself as you are above all names. And that's what the Megillah is. It's only the melech himself. It's only God's essence. Not any expressions. But precisely from that very deep and innermost place is where Hashem connected to us. It's called simple melech. Just who would not even know who he is. Just a king. Esther Yeah, it goes along with Esther being his queen. Because Esther means hidden continents. It's also this very concealed and hidden light. But it has a little revelation. But it has a little revelation. It has a little bit of a thread of kindness, which means a little revelation. Because total concealment is not either good. It's a concealment which brought very went in very high. But at the same time, Esther involves, because the sages say that Esther, there is, a, there is a statement from our sages that Esther was green, which means simply it means olive-toned. But which means, and simply the Gemara won't say she wasn't that beautiful. But she had a special thread of charm that she had at That's what made her as attractive as she was. So, the deeper meaning is that Esther is concealment, but there is a mix of a little revelation. What he wants with this last idea that Esther is concealment, but yet a little revelation, as opposed to the Hamelech, which is total, the king without any description. What exactly he wants in this? whole entire last piece to connect it to everything we learned before I don't know, which is a proof that I don't understand this entire mimer. Thank you for being over here and learning with me a discourse that I have no idea what we learned the last three weeks. Thank you.